Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally upholder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. Hey, Connor, number one on our topic list today, how do you stop juries from falling for junk science? We yeah. have a problem in our system, a bunch of snake oil salesmen, better known as lawyers. And uh, some people say we should take the issues out of the hands of juries. So that's question one. Uh, question two we're going to get into is, should lawyers be required to rat out other attorneys? What can go wrong, right? Uh, giving, uh, giving a hammer to a lawyer to use against their enemies. And after the two topics, as always, we'll get to guess the verdict. I'll give the effects of a real-life case to Connor. You'll get to guess the outcome today. It's the case of the inappropriate death warrant. So we'll get to that at the end of the podcast. And actually, as a bonus, Connor, at the very end, after you I triumphantly answer the, uh, the verdict question correctly, I'm going to reveal why Abraham Lincoln was in my Microsoft Outlook contacts database. Uh, so that's just a little mystery to look Interesting. forward to. Interesting. And, and if people wish, of course, they're free to uh, check out after the guess the verdict. But, you know, you might want to hear this. So are you ready for topic number one? Oh, yeah. Born ready. Okay. So how to stop juries from falling for junk science. So here's the context of the problem. Uh, you're in a big trial. Uh, emotions uh, are running high. Uh, dense scientific facts, and you've got smooth-talking experts selling snake oil in many cases. And sometimes you wind up with billions of dollars in unwarranted jury verdicts. Now, the obvious answer to this is, well, you know, the defendants uh, the, or the other side, they're free to get their own smooth-talking experts and even yeah. smoother lawyers to attack on cross-examination, just like, you know, Joe Pesci, uh, uh, Vinny, and my cousin Vinny. Um, if, Our if, model if, for the perfect lawyer, yes. Of course. And, and of course, every lawyer has seen many clips from my cousin Vinny. And probably some lawyers kind of know what pause attraction means, uh, as opposed to uh, to, uh, because of their exposure. It's the only thing about cars that I do know. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't right, tell yeah. you which side the steering wheel is on, but I could tell you what pause attraction means. <laughs> well, so let me just run the, the big question by you. Are, are you are you sympathetic to this, this concern that I'm raising that sometimes uh, lawyers uh, are, are just selling a, a crock to a jury, but a jury is not in a position to know about physics or chemistry or you know what causes cancer or, or what can carcinogenic uh, elements might be in something. Do you think we need to be doing something process-wise to uh, avoid uh, juries falling for junk science? 
Yeah, this is a very inside baseball topic. I'm gl- very glad we get to, to deal with it because the average person doesn't even know, uh, and rightfully so, they're normal human beings, they're going about their lives. They have no idea that uh, juries even really get to hear from experts. A lot of them uh, uh, w- wouldn't have any idea. Their their expectation would be, well, lawyers stand up there in Perry Mason style, make arguments and say persuasive things and Jurors often just kind of fall for it or are sympathetic uh, or don't buy it. And then they just, you know, come to a conclusion in the in the jury room together and then they read their verdict and that's it. A trial is very complicated <laughs> and lawyers' arguments are not evidence, as as you will be reminded if you're ever on jury duty, the judge will read a jury instruction that says lawyers' arguments are not evidence. Instead, evidence is documents or pictures or pieces of physical stuff like a gun or uh, whatever, uh, as well as the testimony of witnesses and of experts in these fields. And you may not uh, testify as an expert uh, until you are uh, deemed qualified to to testify as an expert. Uh, That is the subject of uh, argument by counsel back and forth in front of the judge. The judge makes that determination. The jury doesn't say, yeah, this seems like a reputable doctor. The judge decides if that person gets put in front of the jury. And then once they do, they start making arguments uh, about the science in whatever field they're testifying on, well, it might not always be science, but in this case specifically, we're talking about junk science, and 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 that is a very common uh, uh, issue, uh, a topic that is beyond the ken, the understanding of the average person, the average juror, who are average people, uh, and yet we ask them to make decisions on those topics. Well, the existence of experts, smooth talking though they may be is actually the solution to that problem. It's the solution to the problem of uh, jurors being uh, uh, bedazzled by fancy lawyer talk, uh, as I'm sure all the listeners of this pod are currently being bedazzled by fancy lawyer talk from us both. But <laughs> well, no, you're it, right. Theoretically, that's the solution. Right. The problem is it doesn't always work out really well. And no, let me give it you an example that, that triggered my thought about this topic today. Everybody's heard of Zantac because we see TV and Zantac's advertised. It's a heartburn drug. Well, sure. uh, some folks filed a lawsuit and said, you know what? Uh, Zantac is terrible. It causes cancer. And they had a bunch of experts uh, from a laboratory that's now been discredited. And these experts from the lab said, oh, yeah, Zantac has a dangerous level of cancer-causing chemicals. The trial judge didn't even think he needed experts from the other side or fancy lawyering from the other side. He just on his own concluded that these experts who said Zantac was bad were using unreliable methodologies, no documentation on how experiments were conducted, lack of substantiation for analytical leaps, lack of statistically significant data, and a lack of internally consistent objective science-based standards for the evaluation of the data. So he basically just tossed it out. So I guess the question is, do we need to encourage judges to dig a little deeper and do more of this? Or, you know, I imagine there's a tendency on the part of many courts is to just say, look, that's the job of the other side. They can cross-examine the heck out of them. They can have their own experts. But in some circumstances, as in the Zantac case, the judge was unwilling to sit by and, and hope the jury that did, did the right thing. Yeah, and we have a built-in system currently um, for uh, it, it, sort of as a, as a fallback for when junk science bedazzles a uh, uh a jury and they come to a strange conclusion. Uh, the the answer to that is that before that junk science enters evidence, 
counsel will have an argument, as they did in that Zantac case, in front of the judge, and the judge will make a decision, a ruling, on whether this evidence comes in. Then, if it bedazzles the jury and a verdict is reached, a judgment is entered, uh, then that a judgment may be appealed on the basis that the judge, the trial court judge's opinion to bring in that evidence uh, was uh, a mistake, uh, an abuse of discretion or whatever else, and that goes up on appeal. And then we have the appellate courts dealing with the issue of was it proper to put that evidence in front of the jury at all because it may have been so inherently flawed that it was a bad idea to even taint the jury's mind uh, to ring a bell right. that can't be unrung, uh, and then the whole thing will be declared a mistrial if uh, that argument is successful on appeal. So this uh, this is the system. It's very complicated when you get to the Court of Appeal. It's a hotly contested topic that actually recently went to the Supreme Court uh, about how the Court of Appeals justices are supposed to evaluate this scientific evidence uh, that is put forth and, and how the trial judge is supposed to do their job and therefore how the appellate ju judges are supposed to judge that judge for doing their job. Uh, because the judges on the Court of Appeal or justices, they are not scientists, right? So right. wouldn't they need to get their own experts in to testify? Well, unfortunately, that's usually not how it works. It's yeah, usually, usually not they the case. don't, but some sometimes they do. Sometimes our tax dollars uh, at work, they yeah. do actually hire their own experts. And sometimes you know, they will have uh, amicus uh, curiae, briefs, sure. a, a friend of the court briefs, where scientists will write a friend of the court brief uh, that says, hey, we're a political action committee or or a group of concerned scientists or a paid lobbyist or whoever, and we think the outcome should be X, Y, and Z. And then the appellate court's job is really to evaluate the standard by which we uh, evaluate evidence. The, how do we decide as a trial court judge, is this good evidence? Is this junk science? And things like, is it in line with the majority of published research in this field, right? These are the sorts of questions. That, well, that's one pillar of it. Uh, you know, does it, you know, these are these are questions about how the trial judge should should uh, should evaluate these cases, but not every case is big enough to go up on appeal and get solved. Like a lot of these cases are so small ball, uh, but can still have big implications for all the participants in the lawsuit such that they will never see appeal. And that is a serious problem. I, as a defense lawyer, uh, have the the inclination that man these plaintiffs lawyer uh, hired and sponsored uh, junk science experts who come into court in lots of cases uh, are a real problem and and these I work on cases generally they're not big enough to appeal right so I defend somebody who might be uh, injured in a personal injury accident for example um, like a car accident and maybe the plaintiff in that accident runs out and receives very expensive treatment, medical treatment, uh, from somebody like a chiropractor or uh, somebody who performs cupping, where they use suction cups and needles or with needles in the middle or acupuncture or other alternative forms of medicine. And then that person gets trotted out in court and they say, well, I'm an expert in acupuncture or chiropractic or, or Reiki, uh, you know, psychic emanations or whatever. <laughs> and I charge this person $10,000 right. and that's the reasonable cost of the service, my services in the field. And I have to go get what a Reiki expert, right? I've got to put up another psychic to, yeah, to no, talk it, about it's the real expensive cost. and convoluted. And you it know, there's is. another there's to another in these cases, even rightfully, is very expensive. There's there's another tool you mentioned the appellate process, which absolutely is there as a backstop. But getting back to our favorite movie, My Cousin Vinny, 
you may remember Connor and most so many people have seen this movie and just love it. Uh, so a lot of folks will remember when Joe Pesci's girlfriend, Marissa Tomei, was being presented as an expert in automotive mechanics mm-hmm. by Joe Pesci to save the day in the movie. This the lawyer, it's so good. The, the lawyer for the government, the prosecutor said, oh, uh, judge, what makes us think that this uh, young lady knows anything about auto mechanics? Well, my father was an auto mechanic, my grandfather. Yeah, that's fine. That doesn't make you an auto mechanic. So then the process was the judge allowed the prosecutor to take the uh, the witness on voir dire, meaning the prosecutor had a chance to ask a bunch of tough questions of Marissa Tomei to try to show that she's uh, the little lady doesn't know anything about about uh, uh, auto mechanics. And in the course of her answers to the questions, of course, she bowled everybody over and showed that she knows a lot about it. Theoretically, you know, that fictional uh, scene from the movie uh, could happen and does happen countless times in trials all the time where the the trial judge can say, OK, I'm going to allow this questioning as a preliminary matter before it even could taint the jury. So yeah. that is at least one possible uh, possible tool. But the problem is you can't always rely on uh, the lawyers being good enough or the judge being good True. enough to 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 make sure that charlatans are exposed. I'll say as a, a put to put a button on it to actually attempt to answer your question, which I managed to, as usual, dodge doing <laughs> earlier. Do I think this is a problem? Do I think we need to do something about it as, as a society? I'm going to actually uh, uh, say no, because I think we have all these systems in place. I think the notion that there are you know ludicrously large plaintiffs uh, verdicts coming down uh, every day is a bit overblown in terms of occurrence. It certainly does happen that strange and out of the realm of ordinary verdicts occur, but they very often get appealed. And I actually think that a callback to, uh, you know, uh, say uh, the 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 litigation over cigarettes and the science, the junk science that was in at that was brought in on the defense side uh, for a long time in favor of. A massive corporations that were making uh, at the you know inflation adjusted hundreds of billions of dollars effectively on one of the biggest industries in the world uh, uh, that was killing Americans and people worldwide at you know, alarming incredible rates and, and also just sort of immiserating them and making their health overall worse and lying to them about the science behind it and knowing that it caused cancer the whole time. That is the sort of thing I'm really, really worried about. A one-off um, uh, verdict where you know somebody gets too much money out of a, a corporation one time it's not a p- pattern and practice problem that I'm truly concerned about. A systematic problem like massive corporations taking advantage of the the expert system to trot out paid for lobbyists and hired gun experts who will lie to the jury for you know salaries in the in the millions of dollars a year and pretend to be experts. And that's a systematic problem that I'm really really worried about. And historically, I think American you know history and judicial history bears out that that is a real risk. That that the judicial system is exploited by powerful, wealthy corporations, not necessarily by, uh, you know, weird one-off junk science uh, experts. Well, I'll uh, say this. As long as the judge is always as good as Fred Gwynn and as uh, the lawyers are always as good as Joe Pesci, then then I'm OK. With and they your, always are. 
your approach. Hey, when we come back, do lawyers have to rat out other attorneys? Must they squeal? We'll get into that, our second topic. But first, Connors can tell you how to rate and subscribe to Too Many Lawyers. Yeah, check us out on whatever podcast platform you prefer. That's probably Apple Podcasts, but it might be any other platform. Uh, And while you're there, make sure to hit the like or subscribe or join buttons because uh, it helps out our numbers and it makes us feel good. Leave us a review. We read them all. We'll be right back. This is Timothy Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And I'm Connor Oates. So, Connor, topic two, must lawyers rat out other attorneys? Uh, here's the deal. California is unique in several respects. And one of the ways it's unique is we're the only state that says uh, a lawyer licensed to practice in California does not really have to report another lawyer if you think the other lawyer is breaking the rules, uh, breaking ethical standards. All the other 49 states say it it is mandatory to report to the state bar if you see somebody else acting up. Okay, but how does Puerto Rico feel? I know we got 50 states, but I want to know how they do it in Puerto Rico. Good question. And, you know, in terms of uh, Guam, where America's Day Begins, I don't know what their rule is. Oh, dang it. But but it's interesting because some of these other states, Connor, they actually not only say, hey, you really have to do it. If you don't do it, you are in a heap of trouble. You could have your own license uh, at right. uh, mm. at uh, stake. And to me, it's similar to the honor code in the military academies. If you're in uh, Colorado Springs, Colorado, and want to get into the Air Force in the Air Force Academy, and you see another cadet is cheating on a on an engineering test, you have to report him now doesn't always happen, but you are told you absolutely have to do it. And if it is determined that you didn't report cheating when you knew about it, it's the same as you uh, cheating yourself. So that's the kind of rule that some people are saying that we should have in California. Um, My problem with it, Connor, is, you know, lawyers are really competitive and um, there's a lot of bad blood. They're very pugnacious. Sometimes they follow the rules. Sometimes they don't. Do we really want to give a club to lawyers to be able to let them hit other lawyers over the head with that club. Now, theoretically, it's hard to argue against you know doing the right thing, reporting uh, bad conduct. But my gosh, I just seem it seems to me like this is a, a little bit fraught. I can see a lot yeah. going wrong. Yeah, the current system in California still has an element of this, even though it's not a, a mandatory affirmative duty that you go do it, that you report people. Uh, there's still the opportunity to do so, and this comes up. Uh, all the time where lawyers are pointing the finger at one another broadly, just saying you're acting badly in litigation. Most often it comes up where they're in front of a judge uh, or writing a motion to be sent to a judge saying, hey, judge, uh, the other side is being uncooperative. They won't turn my calls. They won't answer uh, my meet and confer letters. Uh, They won't uh, file things when they're supposed to. Uh, They're not, you know, uh, 
assisting me in, in preparing joint documents, documents that we have to work on together, both sides, both lawyers have to work on things together sometimes, and then submit them to the court. So those letters are both covering uh, their own butts, the lawyers covering their own butts, saying to the judge, this person is acting badly. But they're also saying, hey, judge, uh, you should uh, award sanctions. You should pay, uh, you should force the other side's lawyer to pay my fees uh, for dealing with his nonsense or her nonsense. This person yeah, is, and is it can wasting involve our big time. Bucks. It can be tens or even hundreds of thousands of dollars. Oh, yeah. And you get you rack up hours and hours and hours dealing with bad other lawyers. You actually do incur those hours and hours of work dealing with other lawyers who are terrible and who are wasting your time uh, on purpose or, or through neglect. And then you can ask for sanctions from a judge that can uh, be, you know, run whatever your hourly rate is, that you calculate out. And these hourly rates for lawyers, I've seen hourly rates for lawyers in sanctions motions say things like, I make $1,500 an hour. Uh, and you look at them and think, holy cow, uh, who's paying this guy $1,500 an hour? But that can add up quickly if you spend 10, 20, 30, 40 hours dealing with somebody's crap over a couple of months. So, this is a huge issue. It is a, it's a very important issue, and it's one that our lawyers argue about all the time. But in California, the difference where it's not an affirmative duty to report somebody, well, that doesn't actually mean that the lawyer is given a club to to smack the other lawyer on the head with and threaten to report their bad conduct. That lawyer already has the option to do that, and they often do take that you know take uh, up on that option and report the other side to the state bar although not often rarely but they do sometimes do that there's no opportunity for sanctions though to be awarded there's no opportunity for monetary gain all you're doing is sort of making the world a, a better place by getting a bad lawyer reported to the state bar or you're maybe getting that lawyer out of your hair because that lawyer is now afraid to go up against you in the future because you reported them to the state bar and they don't want it to happen again or something like that so that Power already rests in the hands. Yeah, that's a good of point. Lawyers. That's a good point that the power already exists. I mean, you know, you might worry that it would be uh, used, used more, more excessively yeah. or, or overused in the future. People would be obligated, perhaps, to feel they had to do it, and maybe they would do it too often. But what it actually, by virtue of it being an affirmative duty on placed on lawyers' heads, what it actually does is it gives the the baton. It passes the baton to the state bar to beat up on good lawyers who did not report bad conduct. In the honor code example that you pointed out, that's the best analogy, and I think it is a really good one. Do we feel that the, that the the that by virtue of being a lawyer, you ought to be held to a higher standard in terms of holding other people to a higher standard, right? Complicated, but do you have to hold other people to a high standard? Well, to ask you to do that, that's a high standard to hold you to, right? So this is the complicated, is this an exclusive elite club where we can put extra burdens and duties on the lawyers inside the club such that they you know, ought to be policing one another and have the resources and time to be able to do that. Well, I think inherent in that sort of self-regulation is uh, the danger that lawyers with less resources and less time uh, are prone to be disadvantaged, right? If you're the richest lawyer in California and you have the most power and the most influence in politics and the most clients and the most, and you're at the biggest firm or the head of the biggest firm or whatever else, it's no real effort for you to report somebody to the state bar uh, for bad conduct 
or uh, to deal with the ramifications of someone accusing you of not reporting someone to the state bar for unethical conduct uh, because you're super powerful and rich and, and everything is easy for you. On the other hand, if you are a struggling solo practitioner, a nobody, and you're just, you know, just trying to get by and make the world a better place or make a dollar for yourself and your family or whatever else, um, you might find it a real burden to. Yeah, you know, be, I see your point, and I and I and I think there's some validity to that because some lawyers, you know, if they're going up against some giant firm, they they might just feel kind of overmatched. But here's my thought, and it actually was kind of triggered by your excellent point about sanctions. Yeah, every single legal dispute that winds up in court is presided over by the judge, mm -hmm. the judge who doesn't have a dog in the fight. The, dog, the judge who knows the rules and can report misconduct himself or herself to the state bar. And they often do. I, I, many times I've sat in court and I've heard uh, judges threaten lawyers saying, you know, I'm, I may have to report this to the state bar. I guess my attitude is that the judge knows the situation best. And because this judge has the opportunity to report it, maybe we don't need the extra tool. And in terms of the, the sanctions and the attorney's fees, let me share with you a war story of mine from several years ago. Mm -hmm. I was representing an insurance company. And when an insurance company is presented with a claim uh, and the company says, uh, yeah, we owe the claim, but gosh, two different people are saying we owe them the money. The insurance company has a procedural option called interpleader, where they go to the court and say, hi, your honor, here's a million dollars. These two people say they are entitled to it. We agree. Somebody's entitled to it. We don't know who. So we're depositing the money with you. Let them fight it out. We'll hold their coat. Ding, ding, ding. We've found the most in inside baseball thing ever explained on a legal yes. podcast. It's interpleader. Yes. <laughs> interpleader. Very fun. So the, cat, the, the, the fun part about this from the insurance company standpoint is that the law says that they are entitled to not only submit the money, file the money with the court per the interpleader procedure, the, the insurance company then gets its attorney's fees that were generated to respond to the lawsuit, present the interpleader complaint uh, to, the, to the court, and so on. Now, here's the fun part. I had a case where um, my insurance company client was supposed to uh, wanted to interplead and we did interplead. The one of the two combatants who wanted the money really felt he had the most much stronger uh, opinion. And he right. felt the fact that we thought it was even possible that the other person should get the money, not him. He thought it was so wacky and outlandish. He uh, filed a summary judgment motion against us saying we were wrong, that he was really right. Well, this was really dopey, jerky move. Right. There's no basis for it, but he filed it. And we racked up $48,000 in fees resisting oh this motion for summary judgment because there was some discovery, there were the yeah. hearings and the briefings yeah. and so on. When you try to get your money out of a judge in terms of interpleader, uh, it's often hard if you want like five or 10,000 bucks. Sometimes the judge says, oh, you know, gonna, this is going to come away from the widow if she ultimately wins. So I'm only right. going to give you 2,000 yeah. bucks. In this case, the judge saw that the metal, that the plaintiff's lawyer was being a mental patient and we were awarded the entire $48,000. So wow. to me, it, it represents a situation where we have tools today to slap bad lawyers down, right. to get the word to the state bar. I just worry that lawyers, being the way lawyers are, if we give them yet another arrow in their quiver, they're going to fire at somebody's heart. Uh, somebody's heart. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. I mean, I, I can I can see the the uh, the the difficult situation that somebody, uh, you know, if you're if you're 
just a everyday random simple country lawyer uh, and you're up against a big powerful opponent uh, and and suddenly that opponent uh, does wrong uh, you are you know in other states 49 states obligated to go to the state bar and make an enemy for life somebody that can destroy you professionally perhaps yeah but the good uh, news as, is as he was already your enemy for life hey, that's true that's very true <laughs> although you know lawyers they they don't they don't all hold a grudge right they don't that's all right. hold a grudge just most of them that's most of them yeah but i mean that that sort of thing bringing a state bar complaint can trigger a backlash against you and that's something i would worry about uh, maybe lawyers need to have the freedom to decide i'm not going to try to go up against tom girardi i know he's a you know scumbag and he's going to ruin my life and as revenge if i report him to the state bar uh or maybe lawyers are a, of an elite class where we can say sorry you got to bear that burden that's the price of being a lawyer All right, when we come back, guess the verdict, the case of the inappropriate death warrant. Stay with us on Too Many Lawyers. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So, Connor, we've come to the uh, point of the show where I present to you the facts of a real live case and you get to guess the outcome. Are you prepared? Yes, I am so ready. Okay, so Robert Nelson Drew received the death penalty in Texas. Three names. Always three names. Three names. Bad sign. Lee Harvey Oswald. Robert Nelson Drew was the bad guy. Um, but he appeals uh, his conviction. And what was the basis of his conviction? It was the, excuse me, his appeal. Uh, the basis of his appeal was that the judge signed the execution order, the death warrant, in an unorthodox way. It seems Judge Charles Hearn in Texas has a habit. He draws a happy face following his signature on all oh judicial God. orders. You know, he likes to keep it light, right? So um, Robert Nelson Drew uh, then claimed that the happy face amounted to cruel and unusual punishment and <laughs> perhaps evidence that the judge himself is a mental patient. The judge explained, it, I'm sorry, but I put happy faces on all legal documents to break up the tension and for some other silly reasons. So um, it actually goes up to the United States Supreme Court, Connor. Wow. Uh, who do you think won in this highest court of the land? Uh, was uh, the court unhappy uh, and enough to toss out and give a new trial to this guy convicted or and sentenced to death? Or uh, did it come out the other way? Yeah. As a my guffaw at the very idea of this guy's argument early on may have tipped my hand. That's where I'm going with this one. I don't think this rises to the level of cruel and unusual punishment. Cruel and unusual punishment is an argument uh, that, you know, the, the that somebody goes outside the bounds of what is truly required to achieve the goals of our justice system, things like safety and security of the general population, while you've got to lock people away if they're a danger to uh, safety and security. That sounds cruel. It's cruel to lock somebody up. 
Therefore, isn't that cruel and unusual punishment? Let him out, right? Well, there's the unusual portion too, right? There's the 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 uh, the how cruel does it have to be? How unusual is a punishment before it rises to the level of um, something that we think our justice system shouldn't be doing, right? It's in this the only reason that this could be ever entertained as as a concept uh, or as related to the concept of cruel and unusual punishment is that. It's so unnecessary to put a smiley face on a death warrant, uh, so unnecessary uh, in, in any <laughs> le- le- sense at all, legal or uh, you know practical or anything, that therefore, if it is even one iota cruel, therefore, isn't it cruel and unusual, right? If you did something in, to a prisoner in, in prison, you he was supposed to get his uh, uh, hostess ho-ho's uh, dessert. And on one day out of a, a whole well, life, if it's sentence, his last meal, I certainly hope they comply with the <laughs> Yeah, but to say it's just a random Thursday in a life sentence and the, the guard capriciously uh, and wantonly and arbitrarily says, actually, I will eat your hostess ho-ho in front of you instead of giving it to you. That's terrible and it shouldn't be done. And the judge, the, 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 the guard should be examined to see if he's some sort of sociopath that would do this to this guy. But at the same time. It's so minor that it can't rise to the level. So what you're saying is a punishment could be ill-advised and tacky, but not rise to the level of cruel and unusual. Yeah, it, it just can't possibly be cruel and unusual. It can't enter into that calculus, even though it's fully unnecessary and totally pointless. And therefore, you could make an argument that it's 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 not warranted by any social need in our society like locking somebody up is and therefore can't be excused. But this is not the sort of case we need to set an example where you know judges are writing mean things on every death warrant and making the, the the prisoners feel bad. I don't think this is a systemic problem our society needs to solve. I think this guy gets, frankly, smiley-faced out of court. You're absolutely right. The U.S. Supreme Court ruled that the happy face was what they like to call harmless error. Mm-hmm. So they weren't happy about it, but... Uh, the, yeah, error, horrible. but... Eh. <laughs> <laughs> well, good, good. You're you're back on track. Uh, congratulations. <laughs> so at the top of the um, show, Connor, I mentioned that I was going to talk about an extra topic. So if anybody uh, only wants to hear the hardcore legal stuff, then they're, they're free to uh, to leave. But I do want to explain why Abraham Lincoln was in my Microsoft Outlook context database. So w- would you like to to work with me to try to solve this uh, dilemma? This is weirder than the uh, guess the verdict, and that's it's, saying something. I'm I'm dying to know. It's very weird. So you know, it's the Christmas season. So recently, I was going through my contacts to database because I thought, you know, um, thirty years I've been assembling o- over three thousand names in my contact database, and you know, some people, uh, of course, uh, have passed. Some people I barely knew. Some people I don't recognize the name. So I thought I'd go through and try to figure out well, who do I want to you know, send a Christmas card to. So I'm going along, and I get to the L's, Connor. And who, what to my wondering eyes do I see? Abraham Lincoln. And I look at the entry before I even look at the notes, and I thought, what, the, what in the world? Why is Abraham Lincoln in my contacts database? So then I open it up, and there, you know, it has a room for your email and, and address. And it doesn't say 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue or anything cute like that, <laughs> but it does under occupation. It says dead president. Okay. Nice. So here's the question for you, Connor. You know me pretty darn well um, since since you're my son and we've known each other your whole life. Um, what in the world was I thinking? Why would so, I put Abraham Lincoln 
as dead president in my contacts database. Was I was I drunk? Was did I did I think it was funny? And I thought, well, gee, nobody else will ever see this, but I'll amuse myself because I am telling you, I probably did it 25 years ago and I have no idea how this happened. But I have to speculate. I have two theories. And yes, since you don't remember it, I'm guessing you were probably drunk in either scenario. (laughs) One. You or someone else emailed to you, and when this person emailed to you or you emailed them, you, as a joke, cc'd Abraham Lincoln at earthlink.net or whatever, at, at hotmail.com, yeah. to, make, to make a funny joke as though, wouldn't it be funny if we were cc'ing Abraham? And by, by doing that... You created an Outlook entry. That doesn't explain why it says dead president underneath it. You would have to type that in somehow. So, again, that's where you being drunk comes in. Number two, you are known far and wide to try and bribe uh, individuals, usually not high-ranking government officials, but (laughs) usually in a joking way offer a, a bribe that would never convince the, the, the recipient of the bribe uh, to go your way. For example, uh, you might uh, lean over uh, when, when uh, someone says, oh, no, I'm so sorry, I can't make it uh, to dinner that night, you, or whatever. You might uh, be, be known to say, uh, well, uh, what if I talk to my friend Abraham Lincoln about it, and then slide a $5 bill across the oh, table. Oh, okay. So maybe well, you, know, you constructed you come up with some good theories here. Kyle. Yeah, a joke where you said, "Oh, maybe I'll call my friend Abraham Lincoln about it," and you created a fake entry on your Outlook slash phone well, the, database. The, the good news Again, is these, drunk these are, and don't remember this. These are great creative theories. The bad Thank news you. is it doesn't jog my memory at all. So uh, you know, it's going to continue to be a mystery. But I tell you what, I'll, I'll make a, this promise to our vast listening audience: if I, if I actually uh, remember why I did this thing. Uh, I'll let you know next podcast. Too many lawyers. (laughs) We'll see you next time. Have a great week. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.